what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol, zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. On today's episode is restaurateur, master sommelier, and host of Check, Please! on PBS Chicago, Alpana Singh. And I think because I didn't grow up with wine, I didn't know anything about it, I didn't have that preset of being intimidated. Because I felt like I deserved to be able to experience mother's love gliding mm -hmm. down my throat just as much <laughs> as the next person. And I wanted to know, how do I get there? Alpana made history when she was just 23 years old and became one of the youngest women in the world to become a master sommelier. That truly launched her career. She flew across the country from California and started working at Chicago restaurant Everest and has been working in the Chicago restaurant scene now for 20 years. She is the host of Check, Please! on PBS and the owner of Terra and Vine Restaurant in Evanston. Alpana chose Gibson Steakhouse as her absolute favorite restaurant in Chicago. It's a real compliment when a Chicago restaurateur chooses another restaurant as one of their favorites. You chose Gibson's. Why? I chose it actually for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I really do <laughs> frequent <laughs> Gibson's quite a bit. Uh, you know, I live across the street, but I, I selected it because of the perspective of being a restaurant owner myself. I mean, this restaurant's been around, I think, for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they just celebrated a big anniversary and I think what I find so remarkable is they nailed the one thing that is the hardest to do in restaurants, besides longevity, of course. And what is that? Consistency. Hmm. It's consistency. Hmm. And that is the thing that people look for the most when they're dining out, is they want to know what to expect. And so when the night is on the line, be it an anniversary or a birthday or people coming into town or a proposal, or maybe you just had a really bad day, 
and you don't want to risk it with a new experience, we tend to favor the favorites. Yeah. Gibson's is the classic American steakhouse. It's an iconic brand in Chicago, and it is big. Everything about it is, <laughs> it is big. big. Steve Lombardo is the owner of Gibson Steakhouse. His father started the restaurant back in 1989. And since then, they have operated under a few guiding principles. The customer is always right. That's a saying you hear a lot. But um, we have a lot of probably several dozen variations of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one being uh, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Interesting. Um, it's, and where did that come from? Was that your family? Was that your father? Uh, it may have been uh, Hugo Rally, mm-hmm. my father's partner, mm-hmm. uh, when they opened this up. Um, but it's it's doing whatever it takes to make the customer happy. Mm-hmm. There's another saying we have that is um, common. And I've heard it. Other people use it in the industry, too, but not very often. Um, you know, you can screw up the food and save it with the service. Mm. If you screw up the service, you lose a customer forever. Let's just go to Gibson's because I know what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want to risk it. They're going to make me feel good. Um, and Ooh, then that's interesting. They're going to make, make me, me feel, feel good. good. What experience do you want the customer to have when they come to Gibson's? A wow experience. Uh, something where they come away feeling, I don't want to eat anywhere else. You know, why would I go somewhere else? Mm. I was made to feel at home at Gibson's. Mm. They treated me no matter where you come from. If you were a politician or you were, uh, you know, just somebody who's never been here before, doesn't know anybody, made to feel that they were special. Mm. As a restaurateur yourself, how hard is that to keep that consistency up? It's the hardest thing because what it means is that you have to have, first of all, a, a standard that can be measured and that can be communicated to the rest of your staff like Mm. this is the bar and we all need to meet it Mm. i had a a situation the other night at my own restaurant where one of the servers was just having a bad night yeah you know and he was just he couldn't get it together he let us at a table sit there for 15 minutes which is like completely egregious and i was like what's going on with you and he's like, I'm just having a bad day. I said, I get that. But this is a theater. This mm. is performance. And mm. the show has to go on. Mm. Oh, I love that. And you forgot it. your lines. <laughs> you know, imagine you're in a play. And, it's and like, what did he say to that? And he's like, I'm so sorry. And he was really apologetic, yeah. you know. And, and you know, he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. And then you could just see this immediate shift in his energy. Yeah. This is the lobster cob salad. Correct. Yes. And it, it just looks so summery it's and fresh, fresh and delicious. Yes. Great choice, by thank the way. You, thank you. Wow. I actually had this the other day. It's a little fresh. <laughs> no, we're not having steak at Gibson's. We're having salad. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that I did. That did make me laugh. But it is summer and it's light. It's and, summer. Yeah. And no, actually, you know, that's what I tell people. Like, I rarely eat steak. I mean, I'm a South Asian girl. You know, like, I mean, I eat steak, but it's not my first go-to thing. And I... Don't think I've ever had steak at Gibson's, which is kind of funny. I always get like the whitefish or the salad or I get, I love their wedge. So yeah, the last thing I get is like steak. I mean, I'll get like a bite of somebody's, you know, porterhouse or something, but. But that's what you said. It's, it's, it's not just the food. It, the food's great, but it is the hospitality and the service. I gotta that's tell why you, come. you uh, after hosting Check Please for all these years. Yeah. It's so not about the food. Mm. 
the other reason why I also select Gibson's is because this is like the heart of Chicago. Like, mm-hmm. if you really want to, you know, when people say, oh, Gibson's, that's a tourist trap. I'm like, no, this is anything but a tourist trap. Mm-hmm. I said, you walk in here, I will see five people that I know. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what's going on? How are it you? It is a local place. It's a local hangout. Yeah. It's the sh- sh- most Chicago of Chicago places. Yes. I mean, in the heyday, you could see Mayor Daly, you know, doing deals here. Mm-hmm. You can see local politicians hanging out, the movers and the shakers, the people in the area. So it's this great sort of combination of characters. Yes. And I always like to tell people, you know, I don't know what image you have of Chicago in your mind. Um, you know, there's different. <laughs> <I don't press>. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, you know, Chicago's are characters and we love our characters as exhibited by, uh, you know, the great roll call of politicians we've had. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to like Bill Murray, I mean, he's a character. He's a classic Chicago character. You know, you look at Harry Carey, <laughs> he was a character. You know, like we just love those iconic people that just sort of are are blue collar at heart. Yes. They don't take themselves seriously. Um, very hardworking. Um, and it's just people that you sit next to at a bar and you can immediately strike a conversation and there's no pretense. Mm-hmm. You know, and Chicagoans hate pretense. You know, you became one of the youngest master sommeliers in the country. Um, were you 23? I was 23 when I started at Everest. I took over the wine program. I moved from California to, to, to take over the wine program there. And at the time, yeah, 23 was unheard of for unheard a sommelier. Of. Unheard of. Right? And where did your love of wine and your ability to recognize that you had a talent for it, where you did know, that start? It, it actually was born from necessity. Um, I did not pursue wine because I loved it. I pursued wine because I saw an opportunity to make a career out of it. Mm. My parents had a business. My parents are from the Fiji Islands. I was raised children of immigrants. Um, but they were entrepreneurial as well. Um, unfortunately, not very good entrepreneurs. <laughs> and so were they not successful? They, we had a grocery store when I was growing up. And, you know, it's hard. It's really, really hard to run a business. And they just didn't have the resources. And, and for, you know, for my mom and dad, God bless them, you know, but they just thought, oh, if we just open the store, it's fine. People will come. You know, they didn't understand the marketing mm-hmm. aspect of it. You know, the, the, the set. They didn't have like, you know, it, it's interesting because it's sort of like, I think what they lacked besides just, they, I mean, they had good intentions. They wanted to provide a place where local South Asians can, you know, they wouldn't have to go to San Francisco to buy groceries. This is Monterey. And, and before this store came about, you would have to drive two hours to go get your spices and ingredients to make dinner. And they wanted to open something that was closer, more convenient. And so the intention was fabulous. Right. It's just obviously the, the execution. execution left a little bit to be desired. <laughs> so you seeing the world of food, this world of your parents' grocery store. And Correct, yeah. you said, gosh, there's no female sommeliers. No, it was none of that. So, but unfortunately what happened, because we got so in debt with the grocery store, there wasn't money left for college. Mm. There was just no money. And they made enough where I couldn't get scholarships. And, you know, I also wasn't prepared along the way to think about college, you know, because I think in the back of my head, my parents were like afraid, like, how are we going to pay for this? Let's not get her too excited about it. And so I didn't know about like scholarships. I didn't know about the classes that you need to take, you know. So for you, this this avenue was... Yeah, I mean, college just was not a possibility, except, you know, perhaps if there was a way that I could just, you know, pay for it on myself. And so that's where actually I ended up getting the idea to apply uh, for this job at this restaurant because I heard the servers made like $300 there a night. And so I didn't know anything about 
about wine. I was 18 years old. I walked in. I'm like, I was just seeing the Benjamins, right? And they looked at me. And then they're just like, okay, well, what do you know about wine? I'm like, I don't know. It's made from grapes. And they're like, well, we really need somebody that knows something about it. And they were just humoring me. I mean, seriously. I mean, if an 18-year-old walked in and asked for a job today for me and wanted to sell wine, I'd be like... What? Knowing that I was that person right. some years ago. Even I would be skeptical. So I went, left that interview, bought a couple of wine books and came back, you know, and I think that's where I have always differed. You know, your belief system really will inform what you do in life. And I just believed I could do the job. Like I could learn wine. I never. Because but a master sommelier. Well, that came later. I didn't even know what that was. And so as I was uh you know, sitting in the classes, studying the wines, uh, the gentleman running the wine program was studying to become a master sommelier. Mm. And so that's how I got introduced. Mm. So he was the one that originally sort of noticed that I was, you know, pretty good at this, pretty good at it. <laughs> like, you know, but so he kind of like piqued my interest. But more importantly, the thing that I think grabbed me to wine was not necessarily the wine itself, because remember, I'm only 19 years old, not even old enough to drink. And it tasted kind of gross to me, like, ugh, you know, <laughs> did it really? Yeah, I didn't like it because it was just like when you first have wine, it's vinegary, it's sour, it's bitter. And I'm like, people are talking about blueberries and peaches and bananas and pie. I'm like, where are you getting this stuff? Like, oh, it just glides down your throat like mother's love. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, because it is. It's fermented grape juice. It's right, sour. Right. And I just didn't have the palate for it. Right. But eventually, as I was able to connect the story of where the wine came from, the people who made it, the land, the region, the art, the science. Once I understood all those components and how they affect the flavor, mm -hmm. I started looking for those differences. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a very analytical mind. Mm -hmm. And so I started noticing, wait a minute, so if you're telling me if it grows in iron-rich soils, it's going to have a different flavor? That's amazing. Mm. And then now you're telling me that if it's Cabernet, it's a different flavor from something called Pinot Noir, like they're two different grapes? Like, <gasps> I need to know more. And so, so that the science was and the science. Engineering, engineering aspect. Correct. Fascinating. Yes. Because, you know, and, and it's funny because I think what happens is when you go in and you have a glass of wine, your mindset will really inform your experience because what happens is if you go in from a place of intimidation your brain isn't open to experiencing pleasure mm. because what you're doing is you've got this sort of imposter syndrome and you're going to do it from a perspective of what do the other people want to hear so they don't kick me off the table mm. they don't kick me out of the room but if you go in from a place of authenticity and what am I actually sensing and feeling in a place of just personal mindfulness, it's going to be so much of a better experience for you. Mm -hmm. And I think because I didn't grow up with wine, I didn't know anything about it, I didn't have that preset of being intimidated because I felt like I deserved to be able to experience mother's love gliding mm -hmm. down my throat just as much <laughs> as the next person. And I wanted to know, how do I get there? We'll have more from our delicious meal in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For, the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. 
With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. So it was really, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm getting the sense that you realized you could be good at this. Mm-hmm. You enjoyed what the, the work that it took to be good at it. And you were, you were willing to put in the time, the effort, and the energy to get there. But even before that, I had made the decision that I was entitled to it. Mm. That I deserved to be at the table. Mm. That I was worthy, that I was good enough, that... And I don't know where that came from. I really don't. I mean, I'm grateful, you know, but I felt like I could do this. And I think that's the secret to the sauce, mm. is I felt I could do this. Yeah, and you did it. And I did it. So that first job at Everest, where you're a master sommelier, and, and the, the intimidation factor of wine obviously didn't affect you at all because you felt like you belonged. I did the homework. I did my research. Um, I obviously was good enough to get the job, right. to ask somebody to move 2,000 miles away from my hometown and take over the wine program of 1,400 selections, you know, from a, a restaurant that's owned by a major company like Let Us Entertain You, right? you know, uh, a near billion dollar company. So I felt like, okay, I'm good enough. What about the job did you like the most? I liked opening people's eyes to a new experience. I liked introducing them to something that they normally would have had my least favorite customer was the one that i hate chardonnay i'm not gonna try it i'm shut <laughs> off go not away open. this is what i like i mean i respected them don't get me wrong right but my favorite customer was show me the world right show me show me something new i want to experience something new i'm gonna let down my guard i'm gonna let down my boundaries you are the guide to introducing me to this new experience show me mm. you know show me something new so you like transporting people i did because and it came from a place of ego <laughs> because I knew they would remember me. <laughs> I knew that I would change their life. I knew that, you know, <laughs> I'm you know, it was like, I just felt it was powerful. It yeah. was power. And mm-hmm. for a young woman mm-hmm. at 23 years old mm-hmm. to have this ability to make a grown white man <laughs> feel helpless and feel like, oh my God, you changed my life. You introduced me to something. That was powerful. So at what point when you are working at Everest, doing the sommelier thing, do you think to yourself, I would like to expand this and become a restaurateur? Because that is a huge leap and it is also an enormous undertaking. Yes. Well, it was a combination of naiveness, (laughs) uh, chutzpah, Mm -hmm. uh, opportunity, I'm getting the chutzpah part. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, also a place of kind of sadness, you know? Really? Yeah, Why? because I always say that entrepreneurship is born from a place of restlessness and sadness mm-hmm. because doing what you're doing, it's just not fitting in. And, and you feel like there's got to be something more. Yeah. You know, there's got to be something more. Like, this can't be it for me. This can't right. be the end of the road. And I want to create something. Mm. You know, I want to be able to call my own shots and, and to do that. And, you know, I think with entrepreneurship, there's fear, but I think the fear is a failure. And yeah, you're going to fail. Let's right. just go ahead and understand that, you know, but I think it's the fear of the unknown. 
And what ends up happening is you can't measure, oh my God, the ups and downs and the roller coaster and the sleepless nights. Like, there's nothing will prepare you for that. And I don't have children, but I hear very similar sentiments from my friends who've had children all of a sudden they're like what have I done <laughs> but it's also something that you love so much <laughs> I can I can relate to that I can relate to that you know I, I remember walking into the boarding house which was your restaurant that was wine inspired but a delicious menu to boot and and really being taken by when you first walk in just that remarkable bar and all of those glasses hanging that was just so spectacular to look at and it was such a unique restaurant for Chicago and I I remember when the restaurant opened and the amazing attention it received across the country well, yeah, nationally. It, it was the reason for it was because uh, it was also one of the first sort of major projects coming after the financial collapse of 2010 mm-hmm. and nobody was doing a 13,000 square foot restaurant and the focus on wine plus it was me and the fact that I did check please etc. Um, but you know perfectly honest because I, I have had now Oh my gosh, so I, oh, I started my first restaurant. I made the decision in 2011, and now we're sitting in 2010. So not quite, or 2020, um, not quite a decade. But I'm actually in the process of launching this wine shop at my restaurant, Terran Vine. We're in the middle of this pivot mm. to sort of what originally started off with you know, okay, how do we generate some extra revenue that we're losing because people aren't coming in and they're not buying wine because they're doing carryout? So how do we make it easy for them to buy wine, to have with their carryout, you know, and sort of replace some of this lost revenue? So originally it just started out from sort of this reactionary point. But the big difference between doing this project right now versus when I first started with the boarding house mm-hmm. is because I didn't have those failures mm. you know and since then two of my restaurants have closed the boarding house and, and seven, seven lions and there was a period there where it was just regret and remorse and angst and sort well, of like what do you think didn't work with the boarding house it was a spectacular you know, honestly, restaurant I've had a few years to, to think about it first and foremost my intention with the boarding house was to create a place where people, servers, can launch their career in wine. Mm. You know, it was a place for them to come and learn about wine and I can shepherd them. And and what's interesting is that intention came true. Mm. But beyond that, I was just sort of caught up in the romance of doing my own business. Mm. And I didn't really have like a vision for what this place needed to be Mm. beyond just I want people to come here and enjoy wine Mm -hmm. but I didn't have like well how am I going to do that how am I going to execute that beyond just having a big wine list and doing some fun wines by the glass so it was from the mindset of somebody who ran a wine program because that's what I knew Mm -hmm. but not somebody from the mindset who ran a business okay but to to get more nitty-gritty the boarding house was absolutely a beautiful restaurant the wine program was incredible visually it looked amazing the menu was great. What was missing? Actually, the menu was not great. You didn't think so. The, the, was great. the chef, uh, he himself could put together a menu, but he couldn't execute it mm. for 120 people a night. And the food was, we didn't get great food reviews. So that really stung. Yeah. Um, and I can see why. So actually, the chef from the go, uh, he was let go of after four months. Mm-hmm. And then we had another chef, and then, you know, like we, 
like once you lose that first like eight weeks of a restaurant it's like off the skids <laughs> there's like it's a it's an avalanche there's no like okay let's put the genie back in the bottle here um you know it's it's just it's really and it just sort of like snowballed from there so it was just like one catastrophe we're always behind the gun trying to catch up with the catastrophes so that also doesn't allow you to have that ability to think about marketing programs so right. how can we create something unique and fun and engage the people but also I think what happened was I, I we opened seven lines afterwards and and this is the reason why I also picked Gibson's is because we didn't mind the store so to speak you know like we we sort of didn't think about ways to keep it I mean we minded the store you know we kept watching the books and everything but we didn't think about ways to keep it fresh keep it new keep it engaged get people to come in and like okay what are we doing now and you know and that requires a lot of energy and effort and the ability for you to also take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and not be exhausted all Mm -hmm. the time and not sort of like burning the candle both ends so I mean I was emotionally drained I was physically drained I was just sort of like not thinking straight and I was going in the middle of a divorce through all of this and so I just didn't have the bandwidth Yeah, you know and so but those are the lessons learned the big mistake that restaurant people make is you know and this actually happened with Gibson so when Gibson's first opened it almost closed people don't realize this mm. and uh, but they were open to adapting and changing because the business plan that you have quite honestly, will probably vary different from what actually works. And that's another secret, is you have to be adaptable and open to changing it. It sounds like, you know, throughout your restaurant experience, which really has, this is a great time to interview you because you are, you've kind of, you've, you've gone up the mountain, you've gone down the mountain, you've had the peaks, you've had the valleys, um, you're, you're currently working on this new project with the, the wine shop at Terra and Vine. So your Terra and Vine's gonna may still be a restaurant, but it's also going to have a side wine shop that's going to specialize in wines that maybe you're not familiar with that you would enjoy. I think what I'm also doing is I don't want to have to sit here a year from now when the place is closed going, what else could I have done? Mm. Because I know what that feels like, mm-hmm. you know? And so if the place closes, I at least want to sit there. You mean Terra and Vine. Terra and Vine yes. and say that I did everything possible. Right. You so know? this is your staying afloat. This is you paddling like you've never paddled before in a new direction you're pivoting and you are literally trying to keep it all together it's also i'm looking at it from rather than reacting from a place of fear Mm -hmm. i want to ask questions from the place of opportunity yes because there's a huge difference there totally you know and 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 reacting from a place of fear is short term you know and and it may not work because your intention is to not feel failure but you know because it's like how do I buffer myself and protect myself rather than where is the opportunity here Mm -hmm. so people may not be dining out but they're drinking more than ever so how can I connect my wine expertise and my knowledge and they're wanting to learn more about wine and use technology because that's the other thing is we have so much technology now with podcasts and zooms and things like that how do I leverage that and give them something thing in their home right bring it to them well they say with authors you should write what you know and with you as a business person you know at the very heart of what you are and what you bring to the table so to speak is your vast experience of wine and so it makes sense it makes sense yeah it's sort of low-hanging fruit but sometimes it's not very obvious because you don't want to bend down well I feel like also too if you come from a place of not only what you're good at, but what you truly love. Oh, it's just so, you know, it, it, 
when you look at the you know your career and I love your honesty I love your candor by saying you know you were motivated by ego to, to say this is a successful path or it could be a successful path for me becoming a sommelier you went for it and it was true yeah. it, you trusted your gut there but I also would be really fascinated to know because I imagine it's what's motivating you now has changed dramatically. And as you look to what you're doing now, what is at the heart of what's motivating you? You know, it's interesting. I, I was telling my my friend this. I said, you know, I feel so badly for restaurant owners right now because if they've never felt failure before, mm. they don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. And my heart breaks for them because... You know, the, the 18, 19 months after I, you know, boarding house and Seven Lions closed were some of the most difficult in my life, mm. you know, and, and knowing, I mean, everybody handles grief in a very different way, but there is a sense of grief and loss and what could I have I done? And, but I've already been through that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, knowing that I've survived it mm -hmm. and that I'm resilient mm -hmm. and should tear and vine close, I'll get through it yeah. because I've already got through it. But if you've never gone through that already, it's terrifying. Right, right. It's terrifying. Well, and you haven't learned the lessons to make, to steal yourself Correct. for Correct. the storm. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so I also realize uh you know this is, i i did a, a talk was it last summer at the welcome conference which is like mm -hmm. the ted talk of the hospitality industry and they gave me a year to prepare for it <laughs> which is awful because you know i'm sitting in the shower and i'm like okay oh that'll be a good talk that'll be a good talk like what am i going to talk about what am i going to talk about right and they hired like a speech coach for me and you know and she was great and i had to meet with her and so but what i ended up talking about was this uh, concept called terroir, which is uh, in wine, it's the conditions that the grapes are grown in, you know, the mm. sun, the climate, the soil, et cetera, that make it unique mm. and make it delicious. But I never actually thought about my own personal terroir mm. and the unique set of circumstances that made me who I am, that make me delicious <laughs> <laughs> and set me apart from everybody else. And so I, I really just like, how did I not know this? And that's my South Asian-ness and my immigrant parents and growing up not knowing am I in this like, do I, how do I navigate my white friends at school versus my Indian parents? Like, don't become too white, don't become too Indian. Mm. Like, so you end up sort of not knowing who you really are because you're just trying to make everybody else happy mm. right but once you learn to embrace your own terroir and be like yeah this is what makes me unique it's so much more empowering so I did this my speech and I go back to my seat and I don't know if you know Seth Godin mm -hmm. but he was um, marketing genius yes exactly uh -huh. and, and and they had a reception the night before with all the speakers and so you know there's Simon Sinek and Seth Godin and like it was just pretty fabulous actually and so Seth uh, was like that was a great talk right mm. and but as I left the stage Simon Sinek told me you're an incredible storyteller I was like oh my god thank you like <laughs> you're Simon Sinek <laughs> 10 million YouTube views I'll take that <laughs> so I go back to my seat and Seth said to me I've got something for you because during my speech I said it was like I was waiting for Oprah to come down from the sky and tell you tell me okay Alpina you matter mm. you know like this you're you're worth it you're this you're that whatever you know like I was just waiting for this permission to go and be my authentic self mm. you know where in ways I have been you my have authentic been your whole life yeah exactly but for maybe for some reason I didn't recognize it right wow that's a that's a moment for you personally. yes exactly and so when I go back to my seat Seth goes I have something for you and he pulls out this 
uh, uh, letterpress thing of like one of his sayings, right? Uh, Seth Godinism. And it says on the top, pick yourself. And then the first couple of lines, he says, Oprah's not coming. She's left the building. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just goes into this whole thing about you have the ability to do whatever you want, you know, especially nowadays, you know, with YouTube and websites and all these creative There's never been a better time. There's never been a better time. I started shifting towards this recipes and sharing information and doing my wine compilation. These are 25 wines at the grocery store that are, you know, awesome. I did a Trader Joe's wine list, but just kind of like taking my information. And then the other thing is, Seth, is like, give it away for free. Mm-hmm. You know, give it away for free mm-hmm. because you're not giving it away for free. What you're doing is you're building your brand. Mm-hmm. You're getting people to trust you mm-hmm. and to see you as sort of this source of information. Well, and you are an expert. I mean, you, you're marketing yourself as an expert. I, I follow you on Instagram and love thank watching. You, You've been you. baking up a storm. Yeah, well, <laughs> you really. You have. can thank that Seth Godin for that. <laughs> <laughs> you really have. I've enjoyed watching every one of your recipes. Um, but unlike some people who have to establish themselves as an expert, you are an actual certified expert. So it absolutely makes sense that you wouldn't capitalize on that and, con- as you said, combine that with storytelling to tell the story of wines in a way that no one else can. My battle call is to use wine as a medium to uh, help people feel more confident about their choices Mm. and about embracing what makes them happy. Mm -hmm. Because wine is the perfect symbol for intimidation. That I don't matter, that I'm not worthy, that I'm not entitled to that, Mm. that I'm not entitled to feel joy and pleasure of what makes me happy. And it's a small act, but by telling people, if you like Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc, that's you. Mm-hmm. You know, but you can also use it to find new favorites. Mm-hmm. And it's about breaking down the walls of intimidation and exclusion. Demystifying it. May it not be something of privilege, but for everyone. For everybody, Accessible. because it really is. It is for everyone. Yeah, because I mean, think about it. Wine is the only beverage that requires a special tool to open it. Mm-hmm. And you got to know how to use that tool to open it. Mm-hmm. They're right there mm-hmm. is the inherent roadblock. Mm-hmm. You know, does everybody have the tool? What if I have arthritis? I don't know how to use it. I don't want to look silly in front of my although, friends. Although now there's a lot of twists. <laughs> the there's a lot of twists. The, the screw cap is an immigrant great democratizing entity, right? <laughs> but does it change the taste? Does the screw No, it cap? doesn't. The screw caps are okay. fine. It's okay. awesome. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, but but also it also goes a ways. It explains sort of the backlash that the snooty snobs had against the screw caps because they was like, what is this? You know, you're telling me that people don't who don't know how like what, what is going on. But that's that shows you how much these certain gatekeepers want to keep people out. Mm. And the thing is, I got in you sure because did. I came from the other side and I got <laughs> in did. and I got news for you. I'm yeah. bringing my friends, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, thank you. Yeah, that. I'm, I'm bringing women. I'm bringing people of color. I'm bringing, you know, people who have been told their entire life you don't belong. Like I'm bringing them all in. And that's what Gibson's does. You know, Gibson's makes you feel like you're home, that you're welcome, that there's always a table here for you, mm-hmm. you know. And I actually asked one of the managers one time, I'm like, I don't know how you do it, but like whenever I walk in, it's like magically a table appears. <laughs> and they said, well, you're a neighbor. Oh. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. And, and, and what's crazy is like, I don't know if they have like a photo album in the back, 
but they remember they you. remember you i don't know if they do flashcards <laughs> like when it's like it's never slow but do they quiz the staff <laughs> and i think the ultimate sort of sign of how good they are is how they're handling this pandemic yes you know and and at a place where you know honestly like i feel like i should be comforting them <laughs> you know they continue to comfort us you know and so it's uh yeah it's a very special place Thank you yeah. for this fascinating conversation. <laughs> Cheers to you Thank and all you. of your success. Thank you. Thank and you I for can't the opportunity. Wait, and I can't wait to continue yeah. following you. It's so not about the wine. <laughs> it's not about the wine. It's not really about the food either. Yeah, it's about what it represents. Yeah. Yeah. And what it means to you as a person. Yeah. Thank exactly. you, Alfana. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todine4tv and Facebook at todine4 with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. What is your biggest splurge, whether it's a type of wine, a bottle of wine, or a food? Jewelry. Oh, oh yeah, jewelry? Cartier. <laughs> I love jewelry. Uh, you know, it's actually, it is a, it's a funny story. When I first moved to Chicago, I was 23, and I, you know, I, I had a, a watch, but I was like, I walked by Tiffany's. Mm. I was like... I make good money now. I'm going to go buy a watch. So I walked in the Tiffany's and, you know, I'd like, it was summer, I had shorts on and, you know, whatever. Um, let's just say I didn't get the greatest of service. Um, mm. And the the guy was like not really paying attention to me. And maybe I read more into it, you know, of like, okay. But he kept looking over my head. Mm. And I ended up buying the watch because I wanted to prove to him that, hey, like, I could buy this. Yeah. And it wasn't even like in grand scheme of things. Like it wasn't like super expensive. You know, I think it was like $700 mm-hmm. or something. Expensive for me at the time. So I I bought it and I wore that watch for 20 years mm. or 19, 20 years. Right. And I remember the sales team at Tiffany's came in at Everest. And it was like a total like pretty woman moment. <laughs> and he was sitting there with his entire sales team. And they're like, oh, you have the Tiffany, la da 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 whatever model it was. I said, yeah, and actually, he sold it to me. And uh, they're like, well, I hope he took good care of you. And I said, and that's when you have to make that sort of decision of, like, these are paying customers. Do I bring my personal life into <laughs> what it? What did you say? So I said, you know what? I said, honestly, it's your dinner, and this isn't the time or place for it. And then, they, you know, like... Yeah, it's just, I, I don't I don't feel comfortable. You and know? did they inquire more? So then they inquired, yeah. and I said, actually, you know what? I said, you ended up doing me a huge favor, because I bought this watch originally because I got the sense from your service that you thought I couldn't afford it. Mm. And I said, I bought it because I wanted to prove to you that I could. But every time I look at this watch, it serves as a reminder that there are people in this world who don't believe that you're capable of doing what you're capable of doing. Wow. And I said, that's why I still have it. Jaw because, drop. Yeah. And he Mic actually, drop, jaw he ended drop. Up, he ended up writing a, a, like, I'm sorry letter, like, I apologize, you know. And I said, no, no, no. I said, you actually, like I said, it just, it's, it's actually a very cherished piece of jewelry for me now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.